All right, well, this morning, um, I want to take advantage, and I just feel the Lord wants us to pay attention to some, some categories that, that greatly interact with our lives. Uh, this is, today's July 3rd. July 4th uh, has always been a big celebration in the nation that we are a part of. I titled the message today, Patriotism, Protest, and Proclamation. Uh, it's gotten a little more complicated to do July 4th. I don't know if you guys have noticed that in the life in which you live and the history of the life in which you live. Uh, just this week, Christianity Today noted that even in the church world, quote, fewer churches put patriotism on display for July 4th. And they said this in the article, over the past five years, pastors have become less likely to prioritize pro-America displays. Younger pastors, those 18 to 44, are the most likely to say the worship service doesn't need patriotic additions. So, you know, for me growing up, um, the 4th of July was a big deal. It was the big summer deal. I remember my, my dad used to always try and time our family vacations, if he could, to get us reservations to be somewhere. And typically that was Disney World, but to be somewhere where there was going to be a big 4th of July celebration. And there was going to be patriotic music and bands and big fireworks displays. And, and I, I just don't remember it being so complicated as it is today. Simpler times, for sure. But this grand birthday-like celebration, uh, it paid attention to the American experiment, if you want to call it that. You know, this day featured words that meant something in this high aspirations, that there would be a nation that could be formed, that would fight for human rights and human dignity. And, and we put together documents and we, we, we aimed at something as a nation. And words like liberty sat in the center of whatever this nation was supposed to be. But these are high aspirations when you throw out words like, this is who we're going to be in 1776. One nation under God. Indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. We're so familiar with those words, but can you just strap on how challenging it is to pull that off? One nation? All right, some of you guys who are old enough, you got parents and grandparents who fought in World War II. Kind of my dad fought in World War II. I had relatives who fought in World War II. So I'm kind of a World War II devotee. Kind of stuff will come on TV and I watched something about the theater and the Japanese warfare aspects. The country feels a little different today than it did back when that generation was fighting World War II, doesn't it? I think you could stand and say one nation and you got one kind of response. Today, if you stand and say one nation, I don't know what kind of response you would have. What, does it feel like one nation to you? doesn't to me. Under God, in my lifetime, those words would perhaps need to be changed to away from God. One nation away from God. That feels like the direction that 
the nation is consistently headed in throughout my lifetime, away from God. Ideas and principles that form convictions and, and laws, we have been undoing them throughout my lifetime. Apart from civil rights laws in my lifetime and the reversal of Roe versus Wade, I, I can't think of too many moments when the laws of our land were moving toward God toward his principles, his truth, and a way of doing things. Indivisible. It feels pretty divided, doesn't it? And here's what's the shocking thing in our lifetime. It's divided even in settings that used to be famous for like-mindedness and everybody agreeing. You can't find undivided elements within families today. I can almost guarantee you Roe versus Wade overturning was a lightning rod for a bunch of families. Maybe within your family, maybe you've got extended family or maybe your your siblings, mom and dad, children come to Roe versus Wade being overturned. And all of a sudden there is a massive polarization in families. We've just lived through the last couple of years, the most polarizing time in the church. If there's any people on earth who should be like-minded and find it easy to agree with one another, we're all sitting right here in this room. But what a difficult time the church has had in the last couple of years, trying to be like-minded. It's hard to be indivisible. With liberty and justice for all. We said in 1776. Uh, today, a portion of our population has promoted Juneteenth as perhaps even a replacement for July 4th because they recognize something historically nobody can argue with. When you started in 1776, everybody wasn't free and everybody wasn't getting justice. And Juneteenth stands up and says, hey, you know, there was a day when that justice thing and that liberty thing, it spread to everybody. Let's celebrate that day. Okay, that's a legitimate point. Over the last hundred years, women's suffrage, civil rights have, have stood on the ground and said, hey, hey, that liberty thing, it's not working out for everybody exactly the same way. And that justice for all things not exactly working for everybody either. Which, by the way... No matter what side of the politics you may be on, Roe versus Wade interacts with a set of human beings, a set of human beings that don't seem to be getting spoken up for in the, in the equation. There's a lot about one set of people that Roe versus Wade affects. There's another set of people, they're boys and girls, they're male and female, who are unborn. And they were not getting liberty and justice over the last 50 years. The laws of our land prohibited freedom for that group and justice was not being found by them. And then our modern setting has given way to something that I'm not sure what it's doing to justice today. Justice has meaning in scripture, but you and I live in a, a day of verdict by mob, a trial by social media, and cancel culture. 
the Bible was careful to promote ideas that if you are going to find someone guilty and then exert some form of punishment on that person, you had to follow a particular process because human misdirection, human motives are all over the place. But today you can be accused of something and the verdict is done rather quickly. It just takes the right social media platform and the right influencers to come out and say, that person is guilty of that and no process has happened. No investigation has taken place. And by the end of today, everybody needs to agree on whether that person's guilty, whether that group of people are guilty or not. So whatever America set out to be on July 4th, 1776, uh, it's been having a hard time pulling it off. Now, most of us in this room have spent some time reading the Bible. Are you surprised that this has been hard to pull off? I mean, come on. I'm around a decent amount of Christians. I got to say, you puzzle me a lot because we're so shocked that the government does stuff that's weird, stupid, corrupt, wrong. Like we're shocked by it. It's like, when did you arrive on the planet? And and have you read very far into this book? Because you... You can't get past the beginning. You can't get out of the first book. You can't get out of the introduction to the first book without realizing, oh, that thing you did on July 4th, good luck. You're going to have your hands full. It wasn't long when God created a world before an intrusion of evil came into that world, right? God created a world. The Garden of Eden is an incredible place. But there is this being that comes into the Garden of Eden. He has been here ever since. He is wicked and evil and powerful and influential. He is in this world. He is called the God of this world. His forces are labeled as spiritual forces of wickedness. But they're forces because they move things. Principalities and powers. Right, principality, those are like government officials. That's present in this world. And then he brought with him sin into this world. This corrupting presence, like a fungus, like a cancer, that the second it gets into a place, it travels everywhere. That's Genesis chapter 3. You haven't read far, right? That's Genesis chapter 3. And then what is in principle for all of humanity, Genesis chapter 4 stands up as, here's going to be an individual problem. There's a guy named Cain. He has a specific and direct conversation with God. One chapter after Genesis 3. This global phenomenon that's now in the human race is now going to go local. And this is what it sounds like in a local individual. Cain gets told in Genesis chapter 4. Cain, sin is crouching at the door. God tells him this. It's crouching at the door, Cain. And its desire is contrary to you. You must master it. One verse later. Do you know what Cain does? One verse later. 
he kills his brother. So here is a man in a world where sin is not rampant, it's just active, it's active in him. He gets a specific revelation from God about himself and a specific direction. A law of the land comes to Cain. One verse later, he murders his brother. So all of us, from that moment on, have got to know this. There is a spiritual fact of life. You can be told what's right and what you should do, but that doesn't mean you can or will do it. Cain tells all of our story. Cain is just like every one of us. Sin is crouching at your door and my door. I love the imagery that's there. It is waiting to pounce on me and on you. And then there's this call to master this thing. Well, how did Cain's descendants do? How did, how did those coming after Cain do? Well, we get from Genesis 3 to Genesis 6. Genesis 6, if you're not familiar with what's happening in Genesis 6, is the story of Noah. It's a story of God interacting with how severely evil the world had become that he flooded the entire world. And by the way, the righteous God did the right thing when he did that. And you may not like it, and, and I don't necessarily say, hey, I, I like massive destruction. But I'm humble enough to recognize I don't know what I'm talking about. If the God of the universe in all of his wisdom, love, and perfection says, you know the right thing to do right now? It's to flood everything and to spare just a handful. Right? Genesis 6, 5 says, the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth. And that, listen, every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. How many of you guys don't dare call God an exaggerator? This is not God speaking evangelistically. This is God accurately assessing the condition of the human heart. And he floods the world. And then you just go from Genesis chapter 6. Fast forward. Going to redo things. New leadership, Noah, thanks for you and your family. Got a new collection of people that we get to in Genesis chapter 11. Do you know what's going on in Genesis chapter 11? The Tower of Babel. This great conference of human potential. You're going to love these conferences that gathered. Great human potential conference has gathered. And they are coming together under human ideas to do something in the name of humanity. And what are they doing? They're building a tower to take over heaven. And God sees, again, the, the function of evil in the hearts of man. And God separates man from each other. He scatters them. And he, he divides languages. He makes it harder for them to come together. This is how sin operates in our world. If I'm a Christian and I'm staring on July 4th into the place called America, I, I am not surprised that life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness is hard to pull off as a group thing. I'm not surprised. I've read something in the Bible about the doctrine of depravity. 
that in every human being, sin is operating and there's nothing in our lives that is untouched by sin. Nothing. I've read in the Bible the warnings that in the last days, there would be darkness. Men would be lovers of self. They would be proud and arrogant, insolent, haters of family, disrespectful, unholy, right? That's what men will be like in the end. And and then the Bible describes that the whole earth is being reserved until a day of fire and judgment. So what would lead us to believe that this would be easy to do? These are great aspirations. Great aspiration. I think America aims at something that is commendable and valuable, but it needs to stay biblically informed. Right, I put in your outline there, America the beautiful. I don't know whether you put an exclamation point next to that or you put a question mark. Because today, unlike, you know, when some of us are growing up, there was only exclamation points. America the beautiful. Everybody amen that. Everybody was excited about it. Everybody was on board. Today, not so sure. I suppose putting a question mark, really? You think, you think this nation is beautiful? Um, I would encourage you to do this. Do a little bit of a history study. And, and, and study outside of just American history, by the way. Study civilizations around the world, not in the Western Hemisphere. And you'll find out uh, we are not the inventors of what governments can screw up and what collections of people can have problems with. Every civilization is going to tell us the story of the haves and the have-nots. Of the people within that setting who had economic opportunity and the ones who had economic oppression. It's going to tell you over and over again the story of men were treated one way, women were treated another way. It's going to tell you in every civilization the story of those with more power forced themselves on those with less power. You're going to find that America did not invent slavery. Um, Slavery is in the Far East. Slavery is in the history of the Middle East. Slavery is, is in the tribes in Africa. Slavery is in the Egyptian empire. Slavery is in the Roman empire. This is what is in the hearts of men. And it will continue to be in the hearts of men. But here's something you have in America that I think is, is, is rather commendable. At some point, under the influence of the scriptures, with the principles and truths that are laid out in the scripture, a group of people decided to create a government that had influence. I, I don't go as far as to say, and, I, and actually I think you're wrong if you go this far, to say this is a Christian nation. It is a nation formed by people with ideas who borrowed a lot of principles from the Bible. That does not make it a Christian nation. Because it's made up of individuals and lots of people are not Christians. Remember, even the nation of Israel, Jesus said, they are not all Israel who have descended from Israel. But those who are of the faith of Abraham, right? So be careful how we use our labels. But I give high marks to the founding fathers. They, They started with a task. 
And, and what it seems as though they were very aware of, informed by scripture, is that they were trying to stand up a system that was, was going to go to war with indwelling sin. That's what their system was going to do. And I think they did a great job. I think our government's formed on some really solid principles. Right? So this, the whole idea, why do you have three branches of government? Because the founding fathers recognized corruption is at work in the hearts of individuals. And if you don't create three branches that run check on each other, that corruption will run wild. And it will harm others and destroy folks. So we don't just want a king. But we do want people who can execute leadership. So we have the executive branch of government in our country. But, but we need people to be involved and we need them to stay involved. So they're going to be a legislative branch that represents the people. And then we need sound, immovable principles that govern our land. And that'll be the Constitution, etc. And then we need a judicial branch that's going to report back to those ideas. So if we put all three of those things in play then we could create a system that would keep indwelling sin from just destroying this nation. That's what they were going to war with. I think it's a pretty good system. I put our Constitution and our Bill of Rights up against just about any historic document. Something that thought through, how do you organize a set of principles and ideas for people to benefit from them? I, I think an outstanding job was done. The freedom of speech. The freedom of the press. These were great ideas because you knew that once power got located in a government, and if it got located in a few people in government, they will do the wrong thing with it. They will enslave others. They will impose economic problems on those for their own benefit. They're going to do that. So how about we install people's ability to speak against that without, without retribution, to keep those guys in check? How about we employ the press to inform gatherings of people and mass amounts of people so that they can understand what's going on. So we call these guys out. We can keep them from going rogue. In 1776, that was a good idea, wasn't it? They had no idea what cell phones were. They had no idea what freedom of the press would turn into. To where now you can publish any kind of information and persuade people about any kind of idea. And that, that idea is kind of gone. So I don't know how you feel today as we approach July 4th about the government. Maybe you're, you know, depending on who's in office, blah, blah, blah. You've got this, this sense about you. Maybe you hate the government. Maybe you would stand there, Keith, come on, man. The government is corrupt. It is corrupt, dude. And, and if you say it to me that way, I'm, I'm going to take you back to Genesis 3. I'm going to introduce you to a man named Cain. And I'm going to ask you about yourself. You're surprised that the government is corrupt? Have you heard of the doctrine of depravity? Brother, everything is corrupt. Everything is corrupt. And can I tell you, it's more corrupt than you think it is. Which, by the way, so are you. And so am I. I am more corrupt then I can begin to understand. And if I get elected to office, I take that with me. So I will say this. I think the American system of government is ingenious. I, I, think it's as, I think it's probably as good as human beings are going to stand up. I personally wouldn't want to live in another country. I am grateful 
that I get to live in a, in a country that has the types of laws and approaches individuals and individual rights and humanity the way it does. But, but I am more informed by this book than I am by the civics book that I studied in high school. This book informs me about what government is really, really like. And so when our government, which I think had a great idea when it created states and federal government, just good ideas, our government now is going to push Roe versus Wade back to the people. And you understand, once that happens, we think democracy is a great idea. Democracy simply is empowering people to come together and act on like-minded convictions. So a country that's moved as far away from God as our country has, where do you think it's going to take us when the majority begins to vote differently than those who were under the influence of biblical ideas? Not that they were Christians, necessarily, but they were influenced by the Bible, and they voted that way. What's going to happen when this, this country moves farther and farther away from God and you empower folks? At some point, individual interests and those in power is what's going to get protected at the expense of those who are weaker. And that's why you had Roe versus Wade to begin with. Because you had weak members of society who couldn't push back. Inconveniencing making life difficult, other people who had more power. So we're not done with that issue. But how does that inform our moment, right? It's, it's tomorrow's July 4th in the year 2022, and I think it gives us a unique place to take up our role as, as priests before God, right? We are a unique group of people in this nation. We have access to God to pray on behalf of what's going on in our country. So in this moment, we can, we can cry out against the corruption. We can be bothered by the people who are in government with stupid ideas. We, we, can, we can take up all kinds of postures and, and we might fully agree with each other as to doing that. Let's not ignore the Bible stands up this issue. We, we are called to represent the issues of humanity before the throne of God on July 4th. July 4th in a nation that had high aspirations, but it's having a little bit of a hard time pulling things off because the opponent is sin and Satan. And it's interesting. I think the opponent has revisited what was happening at the Tower of Babel. It's like God confused everything. I think the, the technology of our world has brought us more together than we have ever been. We are all able to cooperate more. If you can't understand somebody, just Google whatever they're saying. It'll translate it for you. Languages are a lot easier to deal with. Our global world that we live in, the reason why some of the shelves are empty in our stores is because somebody on the other side of the world didn't ship that thing to our doors. Right, so we are living in a world that's coming together. And I know the Beatles thought that was a good idea. Right? Come together. Uh, God saw what human beings are capable of when they come together. He saw something different at work in the hearts of people. And today, that's at work in the hearts of people. Where's that going to take us? What is in our future? That's a good question. 
I heard something that was interesting, a little bit disturbing actually, from John Piper this week. He responded a little bit to the Roe versus Wade decision and asked Pastor John his podcast. Let me read this to you. He said, if someone says to me, which I thought they might, so I say it, aren't you thankful, John? Because lives are going to be saved. You seem distressed. It's the right thing. Aren't you thankful that lives are going to be saved? My answer is that I hope they are, and I will be thankful if they are. But there are too many variables at play here for me to know what is really going to happen in America as far as the loss of life goes. For all I know, we may be entering an era of such visceral rage and coldness of love and multiplication of wickedness, both on the right and on the left, that a civil war right here in America could take hundreds of thousands of lives. It happened just 160 years ago. When you say it that way, does that mess you up or what? Just 160 years ago, that's all the Civil War was. The issue of killing millions of children is as explosive as the horrors of slavery. This is an interesting moment. And can I just tell you, as interacting with Christians, I totally understand John Piper's feelings. I have a little bit of those feelings myself. So it it may be that, hey, you stared at the Roe versus Wade decision and you see the righteousness of protecting life and there's a celebration going off in our hearts. But you may be like many, many, many Christians staring into the landscape and sounding a little bit more like Mr. Piper here. Wait, aren't you excited? Aren't you happy? You seem distressed. You seem concerned. Uh, Yeah, I am. I am concerned. I am concerned for what's next in this country. And many around you, by the way, young Christians in particular, this polarizing thing, it lands in their life and it blows up their world. It's not just a conversation with your young people about, hey, is it right or is it wrong to take the life of a child? That's not the only thing going on for them. What's going on for them is they're about to to lose friends over this because there's going to be such a hostile, provoking environment that comes into our country in the coming months. That if you're on this side of that issue or you're on that side of this issue, it's going to divide families. It's going to divide friends. You're going to have to try and figure out how to navigate. How exactly do you even talk about this issue with people who are not on the same page as you? There's other issues at play here. There are needs in people's lives that are going to come to the forefront as we progress through a new set of laws in this category. So pay attention. There's a little bit more complexity going on here. But but what can inform us in this moment? The body of Christ, what can inform us I don't have all the answers for all the complexity that's going to be in our society, but, but I, I, I will say this. There is something about the call of the people of God. Let's just make sure we get this part right. Let's get this part right. I think the other parts are a little less complicated to us, at least. Right? What is true about us in this moment is that we are strangers and exiles in this world. That's how the Bible describes us. 
Jesus, the one that we're following, the great shepherd, stood up and said, my kingdom is not of this world. Every follower needs to be aware the kingdom of Jesus Christ is not of this world. As a a pastor representing the other elders here, and I say this to every person who leads in any capacity in any church, our kingdom is not of this world. So, So where are we leading people to? We are ultimately leading people to a new heaven and a new earth. That's ultimately where the Bible goes. That's ultimately where we are going. Let me tell you where we're not leading people. We're not leading people to the promised land of America gets it right. It's a very unpopular thing to say the day before the 4th of July, right? For all the reasons that I've just briefly covered, and if you go read more in depth in these categories, you'll, you'll find out America took on something It didn't have the power to pull off. There is no government system that can defeat Satan and sin. If there were, it would be the savior of the world. That's what we needed to be saved from, that and the judgment of God. And there was only one, only one who came with a different government. Where he is king forever. And he tells you. I've reserved this place for fire, but I go to prepare a place for you. It's a new heaven and a new earth, but you've got stuff to do while you're here. And so while you're here, here's your label. Everybody wear this label. You can get a name tag out, put your name on it right underneath it. It's going to say exiles, whether you are growing up in Africa, whether you are in Asia, whether you are in America, you are an exile. This is not home turf. America is not the home turf of heaven. Stop thinking that way. As though this government can do the things that only can happen in heaven. This is the reason why we celebrate the Lord's return. Because there's nothing here on earth that can fix what's broken here. Except Jesus Christ. And he said, my kingdom is not of this world. So if you and I are leading people and we're leading people when we're having conversations with them, we're leading people when we watch the news with them, we're leading people when we talk about the news, we're leading people when we're in our small groups and we're celebrating and we're angry and we're interacting with something. In every one of those moments, we're talking about a kingdom that really, really matters to us. Let's be wise about what we're doing. Here's how Jeremiah had insights from God's word to speak to exiles. Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 1. The prophet Jeremiah in Jerusalem, the homeland of the people of God who are now exported in Babylon, get this letter to them while they're going to be there in exile for 70 years. Jeremiah says, these are the words of the letter that Jeremiah the prophet sent from Jerusalem to the surviving elders of the exiles, to the priests, the prophets, and all the peoples whom Nebuchadnezzar had taken into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Thus says the Lord, verse 4, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon, build houses and live in them, plant gardens and eat their produce, take wives and have sons and daughters, 
Take wives for your sons, give your daughters in marriage, that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there. And do not decrease. Seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile. And pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare, you will find your welfare. And that's interesting, isn't it? That connects us to this city in a particular way. So it does matter how we live. We need some kind of a definition for what does it mean to do good? Seek the welfare of the city. What does that mean? Well, I think it means what you've seen going down in the months leading up to, the years leading up to the overturning of Roe versus Wade. Roe versus Wade, it gave permission to man to disregard the dignity that God gave to human beings. Now, I I get that it's more complicated. I'm I'm not talking about, well, what about this situation? What about that? What about that person who's in this? Okay, wait, there's there's another person involved here. And God has given us dignity to that person. And so when you and I come to that person with all of our troubles, all of our inconveniences, all of our lack of answers, who that person is has got to mean something to us. And the law of Roe versus Wade meant, no, they don't. And the second you let into the human heart, which is already corrupt, the idea of, no, people don't need to matter to you. The second you do that, you have derailed society in so many categories because you've opened the door for that reasoning to be all over the place. There's lots of things that somebody else is just simply not going to matter to my personal interests. But the Bible turns around and says, hey, as exiles, seek the welfare of the city. Seek the good of the city. If you can help the city develop laws that are better laws, by all means, do it. If you can put people in office who will help and be good for people and and establish and follow things that are better for human beings, by all means, do it. So I think there is a responsibility for us to live in a land like America where we can vote. We can influence decisions at some level. I know there's corruption and blah, blah, blah. But nothing's ever going to be perfect. And at some level, we have an ability to do something in our country because of the way we're constituted. That's not a bad thing. It's a good thing. And we seek the good of the city. And there's going to be opportunities now that Roe versus Wade is changing. and It's going to change state to state. There's going to be other opportunities to do good. There there are, you know, one heart NOLA. Uh, the, the foster care and caring for families in crisis ministry that's been raised up right out of our church is seeking the good of the city. It is helping people in desperate situations. And the church is a means of that happening. There are foster parents here among us. There are adoptive parents here among us who have stepped into someone's situation where abortion was an option, but it was not taken. But that child now needs a future. And needs some kind of person to step in to care for that person. And there are folks among us and there needs to be more of us. If we believe there's dignity in these lives, we're going to need to figure out a way to step into their need now. And be a source of help to do good for the city. But then we're called to pray. Pray to the Lord on its behalf. When you and I pray, we, we, we don't just pray out of temporal things. God says, 
God says no to a lot of stuff that's all about our temporary stuff. God says yes to things that are ultimate. When you and I pray, what exactly is our frame of mind as we pray for this city? We pray for the government of our nation. Let me give you this last passage. Seth, you can come back up here. We're going to pray in just a moment. Second Peter chapter three, verse seven. These are sobering words. These are the words that need to inform whatever agenda you and I have in this world. Chapter three, verse seven. The heavens and earth that now exist are stored up for fire. Being kept until the day of judgment and destruction on the ungodly. Whatever you and I are building, whatever we're endeavoring to build, whatever governments we are standing up, whatever laws that are going to be passed, whatever businesses that we own, whatever we construct in houses that we live in, this is the world that we live in. The heavens and the earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment. This earth and all that makes it up and every human decision has no other destination but a day of judgment. That's a fact. You and I are so busy investing in things. Don't ever lose sight of that fact. Some of us were so... We're so bothered and so upside down because something's not advancing that is in the ultimate sense going to be burned up before God makes it give way to a new heaven and a new earth. But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but he's patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should become Republicans. Oh, I'm sorry. But that all (laughs) should reach repentance. What is God ultimately after? It's a verse we looked at last week that Times of refreshing come when we repent and turn to God. That's where it comes from. It comes from the presence of God. It doesn't come from policies. It doesn't come from platforms. It doesn't come from political structures. It comes from the presence of God. Oh, Christian, please hear God is not on the ballot for anybody. Ideas are on the ballot, and some of them are good ideas that have been borrowed from the Bible, and I'm grateful for them, and I already said I would not want to live in another country. But God is not on the ballot. The person you're talking to, they don't need a new law. They need the God of the Bible. They need repentance in their life to turn to God so that God would come and be to them what they've always longed for him to be and need for him to be. And there's no hope that my interests personally will ever get eclipsed unless God comes and gives me a new heart on my way to a new heaven and a new earth. That's ultimately what governs our lives. 
Verse 10, he says, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief. And then the heavens will pass away with a roar. The heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved. And the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Verse 11, since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn? But according to his promise, we, we are waiting for what? A new heaven, a new earth in which righteousness dwells. It dwells there. It lives there. It characterizes that setting. The founding fathers, the Supreme Court, it, it borrowed some ideas from the Bible, borrowed them. And it had a brush with righteousness when it undid Roe versus Wade. Righteousness does not dwell here. Our government had a brush with righteousness. And it does that from time to time. And I'm grateful. I I would happen to say, I think our government brushes with righteousness historically more than almost any other government I can think of. It brushes with righteousness. The source of that righteousness is when we get to a heavenly place where there's no, there's no sun or moon because the light of his glory fills that place and he dwells among us and righteousness is in the air you breathe. It's in everything you touch. It is who you are. It's what everything is. We are not in that place. Stop expecting to be in that place here. So here's what I'd like for us to do on the eve of July 4th in a nation with incredible aspirations that depending on what your race is, your economic background, your view of women's rights and issues, you may feel like, hey, this nation has has stumbled and staggered to get it right. Yes, it has. Are you surprised? Are you so blind of an American that you're so patriotic that you refuse to own the fact that a lot of the leaders were like Cain and they did things that were right for them at the expense of somebody else? But you can't have that conversation? Is it because you're too loyal to America? I mean, I want to be loyal here. I want to be finding myself in agreement with God. I, I don't have to say everything America ever did was right. Um, No, it was not. It was an attempt. An attempt much better than a lot of other countries. And by the way, why does everybody want to come here? Because it's better here than it is out there. Peter, I got that one in for you. He couldn't be here today. He's in some severe back pain. So this morning, I I want us to pray, right? We're exiles. We pray. And I want us to pray in particular ways. So I'm going to ask you to give some thought to this before you stand up. 
because you're going you're gonna to pray in a particular category. A nation was born in 1776, tomorrow. It was attempting to do government. And then God calls the people of God to be exiles in relation to that government in this land and to pray for it. All right, here's our government. So I want you to think about praying for the actual branches of our government. So do you feel led this morning? Maybe pray for the executive branch of government, the president, governors and states, those who play a particular type of role, who give a particular type of leadership and vision to the direction of government. Do you you feel led to pray for those guys this morning? Or maybe you feel led to pray for the legislative branch, right? That branch of government that actually comes up with laws and represents ideas and puts them into codified form so that people are going to live under the influence of these laws. Or maybe you feel led to pray this morning for the judicial branch of our government. What a tough job that's become to have to defend laws in the face of public scrutiny and to stand up principles that are sound and that serve a nation. And those would be our three branches of government. They're going to come to the state level in the future. So there's going to be a legislative move that touches Roe versus Wade at a state level. It's going to happen here. It's going to happen in other places. The war is going to be fought between people voting about what laws are going to govern that particular aspect of our lives. I ask you to pray for a fourth category. It's not a branch of our government, but it is a, a, a rightfully deserving group of folks that we extend our appreciation to on July 4th. It's our armed forces. It's people who recognize the biblical principle that a government needs to bear a sword because there's evil in this world and sin in human hearts. And the evil over in that tribe, the evil over in that nation will come here unless somebody is ready to defend us from it. That's a biblical principle. We have some folks that are among us who you are veterans who have served. Can I just quicken you in this category? I had a meeting with a person just recently who was describing to me her, a relative of hers who served for many, many years in the military, served in the Middle East in conflicts and difficult setting. And, and PTSD is wrecking this young man's life served for many years. It it was hard to hold back tears. So there are folks who have served in these categories that are in a hard place because they've gone through some hard stuff to do that. But here's what I'd like you to do. If if you would, we're we're just going to intercede this morning, right? We're, We're exiles. That's part of our job, by the way, is to stand in the land and make noise before God. Stand in the land, notice that, make noise before God. Oh, I don't know if you noticed, but the Bible doesn't say anything about stand in the land and make noise on social media about for everybody else to read your berserkness. You want to be berserk right now? Be berserk before God. You want to be really bugged right now? Be bugged before God. That's what healthy prayer sounds like. Healthy prayer sounds like, I got an attitude, God. I got an attitude about something. But it sounds like an attitude that's jealous for the glory of God. As opposed to what we see here. All right, so if any of those things are something you would be able to stand and pray about, would, would you stand right now?
Something that God's stirring in your heart. I'm not going to ask you to come forward. So some of you are like, I ain't standing. He's going to make me come stand with a microphone. No, God can hear you right where you are. All right, we're just going to wait on the Lord and, and you're going to have a conversation with him with your own words. Just pray for a moment and then you begin to pray. You don't have to pray silently. You don't have to scream, but you can do either. Father, we are people by your sovereign providential planning chose for us to be born and to be living in the year 2022 in a place called America with a particular government over us, particular ideas operating in the land in which we live. Tomorrow, Lord, marks a moment where we recognize its origins, its high aspirations to do something in the face of Satan and sin. Lord, if we had read our Bibles and then gone to a meeting with some of these guys who were pinning these ideas, we probably would have said, that ain't never going to work. But you got to do something in a fallen world. And they did. And I'm grateful for what they've done. But Lord, it's not working. Not completely. And so God, that's why we're here before you this morning. Well, we're here because we recognize that being president or being governor puts a person in a role of influence and leadership. God, we're praying for that person. We're praying for those who step into that. We're praying for future leaders who will step into those roles. And who they're going to be and the ideas they're going to promote and what they're going to stand for. God, we're here recognizing our nation is being split apart over a variety of issues. Because, Lord, we, we don't come under any particular authority. God, we rule ourselves and we can't get along because our own ideas are prevailing. Oh, God, thank you that your kingdom is not of this world. Thank you that we serve a king. Lord, thank you that in the kingdom of God, it is your voice, your way, and your glory that matter. And I can just find my place. Stop thinking my way has got to be the way. God, that is not the world we live in. The world we live in is a world that one day will face judgment for that very reason. It has refused to come underneath your rule. It's in that setting, Lord, that we pray for legislators. People who make laws, write down ideas and seek to enforce them. Punishable. Fines frowning, whatever that law creates. God, we pray that you would let our nation brush with righteousness yet again. Inform laws, Lord, that bless people, Lord, in this land, that care for their needs, that stand up the dignity of being human made in the image of God. God, would you let laws come into our land? Lord, would you let legislature be filled with people who can think in those categories? And who can execute those ideas and bring good laws into our fallen world. 
We pray for judges and those who rule in settings. Lord, every day we're hearing crime issues in our own city. Lord, we're hearing of a a system that's trying to manage crime and punishment, laws and judicial settings. So Lord, it's not just a struggle at the Supreme Court level. There are judges in all kinds of places who are trying to manage the complexity of sin and Satan in this world. Ah, Lord, you said pray for kings and those who are in authority. God, we do. Because we know that it is impossible that they would be able to solve a war with sin and Satan. Lord, that's beyond their pay grade. But God, you could intervene. You could have mercy on us. Lord, you could awaken something in these folks' minds and in their hearts to where they make sound decisions that bring blessing and care into this country. And we pray for those who are serving in the military and have served in the military. The sacrifices that they make to be there now, the sacrifices they have made, the impact it's had upon their lives for some physical, mental, emotional impacts on their lives in order that freedom could be protected. This idea that human beings can possibly live a tranquil, peaceful life in this world. You wanted that, Lord. That's a biblical principle. God, thank you. We stand before and we thank you for those who are in our midst who have served our country and served us, relatives, families that have lived at the impact of a family member who was a soldier at some expense. God, we thank you for these leaders among us, how they've blessed us. But Lord, we we pray all that underneath the mindfulness of the ultimate good. Ultimately, God, ultimately, the good needed in this land is hearts that would turn to you in repentance. Hearts that would find the one true God who would escape the clutches of sin and Satan by turning to you and finding true liberty. Where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. Lord, there's not liberty just because somebody plays a fife, blows a flute, says the word liberty. Sin does not grant liberty and Satan does not surrender. Lord, where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. And you come into our lives and breathe your presence into us and we become alive to you. Oh, that is liberty, Lord. That's what we want in this land, Lord. Send that, Lord, among us. Break into the places of human hearts that need to hear the gospel, need to turn to Jesus Christ, the only one, undefeated, when it came to sin and Satan, the only one who could stand the judgment of God on our behalf, the only one. Lord, would you send him among us in a reviving way that turns hearts to you. God, that's what we pray on the eve of July 4th for a nation that we love. God, be in our future in a reviving sense where individuals have found ultimate liberty. They have found you, Lord. God, this we ask. So Lord, as we enjoy hot dogs and watermelon and apple pie and everything else that fireworks, living in a land that's in a lot better shape than a lot of other places in this world. Ultimately, Lord, ultimately, 
We keep you in mind, Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Happy 4th of July to you guys, you guys watching online as well. All right, don't forget there's lunch available. If you want to hear some more about South Asia and what's happening there, please join those guys for lunch. Uh, Also, if you need some prayer this morning, always available for folks to pray with you about whatever's happening in your life that you could just use God to intervene for you about.